it's cold, man, it's cold. I said, you guys are all ordained. Go ahead and baptize each other. <laughs> Don't need me to baptize you. All right, if you got your Bibles tonight, we're in 1 Thessalonians. Verse what we're going to look at, but we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I wish everybody would come hear this sermon tonight because I think this sermon needs to be preached all over America. Because I think we're really woefully inadequate in this particular area. It says, furthermore, that'd be like saying, and in addition to, that's when the crowd groans. I got one more point, but furthermore, that means in addition to what I've just said. And so he's adding to what he's said in chapter 3. He says, then we beseech you, brethren, we implore you, we're down on one knee begging you, and we exhort you, not just are we begging you, but we want you to put this in your mind, we're exhorting you, all right? He says, by the Lord Jesus Christ that you've received of us how we ought to walk and to please God so you would abound or excel is a good word. Some of the newer translation says excel. And that's what he's asking. I want you to excel in your Christian experience and walking by pleasing God more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Now he's talking about while he was there during that teaching time of about three weeks. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You know, uh, an interesting thing is this. The Bible, people always wonder about what's the will of God? What's the will of God? What's the will of God? Well, if you go into the scriptures, you'll find four or five times where it says, this is the will of God. Some things you don't have to wonder about. You know, just flat says, this is what it is. What's God's will for every Christian? Let's see, what, see, see what it says. That your sanctification, you, the fact that you've been set apart, that you should abstain from fornication. Uh, bottom line is, if you're a Christian, God says that's not the lifestyle of a saved person. The will of God is for you, for you to abstain. Don't get involved with that. It's God's will for everybody. How many got that? So that's one thing. I, you said, what's the will of God for Phil Martin's life? That I abstain from fornication. That's God's will for every Christian. Okay. He goes on, for this is the will of God that your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence. How do you like that for a $64 word, huh? Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. He goes on that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also have forewarned you and testified, for God's not called us unto uncleanliness or uncleanness, but to holiness. He therefore that desi uh, despises, despises not man, but God, who is given to us his Holy Spirit. Now, I, I just wrote down some uh, 
things I saw this week in the news. I'll take my jacket off, okay? I thought it interesting, just some of the news stories of this week. Every once in a while, it's just amazing how you see all this stuff because you know what you're going to preach on, and it's all you kind of like your brain's kind of tuned in. And then the devil never disappoints. He gives you plenty of information. One of the big deals in the news this week was the guy who owns the uh, New England Patriots. His name is Kraft. He's a billionaire, and he was arrested because he was soliciting from prostitutions, two counts. I thought, God have mercy, guys, in a massage parlor, got all the money in the world, and that's the best he can do. I wonder if he likes it as he drives off in his limo. I'm thinking, it doesn't seem to make, <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't work for me. I think if I had that much money, I wouldn't have to go to a massage parlor, but... I mean, I'm just being really honest. I'm not. Yeah, and he's older than dirt, you know. Come on, yeah, you understand what I'm saying? It, that, that that whole story just doesn't work for me. And there's another guy that was arrested this week, and he's a billionaire. And I'm thinking that doesn't make sense. Come on, am I the only one that sees it that way? Does it make any sense to you? All the girls say no, and all the guys are kind of quiet. But anyways, um, I, I saw this one this week. Martina Navatarova, I can't get her name to come out. She was a tennis player for years and years and years. Very famous, very incredible. And she got all ticked off because they're allowing men who've been made into a girl to play tennis and she's basically griping said it's not fair that we have to play those whatever they are <laughs> and the and the lbgtxno whatever you know what i mean they're griping and they've just kind of taken all her support from her because how could you dare to say anything as as heartless as we well, I want to be honest with you. I hope a guy could beat her. Under normal sense, normal deals, if you take a, a professional tennis player that's a man and you get a professional tennis player that's a woman, normally the professional man tennis player will win. So what did you think is going to happen? I mean, maybe I don't see life the right way. It seems pretty normal to me. That seems like that's what would happen. Come on, smile at me. Is that right? Yeah. And they're griping at her. <laughs> this is a great world, isn't it? Tonight is the uh, Academy Awards. I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, several of the movies that are out, that are up for Best Picture and Best Director and Best Actor, uh, for example, one of them is Bohemian Rhapsody, and it's uh, a movie about Queen. Queen was a rock group back in the early 80s, and in particular, it's about Freddie Mercury. And it tells the story of Freddie Mercury 
And, and there's no doubt that he was a great performer. Uh, there's no doubt. Now, he was a homosexual and died of AIDS in his 40s. Now, I don't care how you slice that, folks. You can slant that any way, spin it any way you want to spin it. Bottom line is, that's not good godly behavior. Would you agree? I'm not the world's smartest guy, but I know how you cannot get AIDS. Mm -hmm. Sit down and shut up. Amen. You'll never get it. If you don't understand that, see me afterwards. I'll explain that one to you. You'll never get it. I don't care how Jerry agrees with me. But I mean, I, I'm still going to be right. I know I'm right. And the bottom line is this. I don't care how you slice it as a Christian. That's not the way God wants you to live your life. Another movie they got out is The Favorite. The Favorite's about a queen who has a lesbian affair with the women of her court. And back 1600 somewhere in that neck of the woods. That's it. That's, that's what the movie's about. Another movie that's out is a movie called uh, Green Book. Green Book's about a, a guy that's a pianist, and he comes back to America, and he plays all over the Deep South, and it, the Green Book is a book that n Negroes had to find out where they could stay at because they couldn't stay in the same places that white people could stay. But a part of the movie is the black guy is a homosexual and the black guy gets arrested for doing homosexual activities and gets thrown in jail and the guy has to go bail him out. That's the movie. I could keep going. There's another movie out called uh, A Star is Born. And that's about uh, a guy who meets this gal and their boyfriend, girlfriend, and, and she becomes a great singer. It's Lady Gaga. And uh, it's about drinking, drug using, and sex. That's the movie. That's pretty much what it is. Now, let me be really honest with you. Would you think... <coughs> 30, 40, 50 years ago that that would be the very best that Hollywood have to offer? No. Seriously, you think that's, you think that's where Gone with the Wind was about that? I mean, we could go back and pick up some of those great movies. And, and that, that's what they're voting on tonight is the best movie we got. Isn't that amazing? Now, you say, Pastor, what's happened in our society? I would say that this verses that I'm going to talk about tonight hasn't been talked about because I don't think anybody pays attention to it, not even Christians. I thought it was interesting as I read this week uh, Cardinal... Um, Mayors, I think his name was, said the Catholic Church 
destroyed files of 190 bishops that had sexually abused children. You know, I, you, say, you say what you want. I hope they get nailed. I hope they have to sell every parish church from here to Boston and back. Because if that's what they're allowing to go on in their church, they need to do something about it. I can keep going. The Fort Worth Telegram had a big article about uh, a couple of weeks ago about all independent Baptist churches, over 400 of independent Baptist churches where there's sexual abuse going on. Sexual abuse. Not to be outdone, the Houston Chronicle last week or the week before last came out with an article and said Southern Baptists got the major problem in their deal too. And they had a whole big long article about it. One of the well-known preachers, James McDonald, up in Walking the Word. I'm sure you've listened to him. I've got several books by him. Brought some pretty heavy duty accusations against him. Now, you kind of wonder, what's going on? Come on, don't you wonder what's going on? Well... All right, let me show you what's going on. Let's, let's talk about this just for a few moments. I'm going to talk to you straight talk about moral purity tonight. And I want to spend a little time. The first point on your outline says something along the lines, the fog, a brief analysis of today's moral scene. Do you see that on there anywhere? I sure hope you do. Let's go back to Habakkuk. I'm going to give you a moment to find it, okay? Habakkuk is an Old Testament book that, is hard to find in your Bible. And when you find it, to be quite honest with you, you're probably going to say, wow. <laughs> um, Habakkuk was a prophet of God, and he surveys Judah's moral scene, and he sees people deserving God's righteous judgment, yet they need salvation. And that's what he looks at. Let's read a couple of verses right at the first chapter. Will you look at chapter 1? See it? It says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you recognize that we're living in a somewhat violent community? You watch the 10 o'clock news? You ever watch the 10 o'clock news? It measures you how many people get shot and people still want to move here. They say 100 people a day want to move to Nashville and everybody and their dog shooting each other. Come on. Yes or no? And I sit up in Greenbrier and I say, praise God I live in Greenbrier up here where if you come in my front yard, you may get shot up here. <laughs> you know, who, there's more guns in Greenbrier all afternoon. I was trying to take a nap. <laughs> I mean, they were shooting. I don't know what they shoot at, but man, they was having a blast today. It was going for it. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, evidently it's cold. Not cold, you can go outside. It says, talk about violence. He says, verse 3, he says, why do, thou, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are those that rise up strife and contention. 
The law is slacked. Does that sound like today? We have all kinds of laws. Our problem in America isn't more laws. It's enforcing ones that we have. Our law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth. In other words, even when you catch them, you turn them loose. Even when you catch them, they get off scot-free and go do stupid things again. He goes on. And, and wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceeds. Amen. Now, that's the scream of Habakkuk. He says, God, where are you? You ever feel that way? How long are you going to put up with that, Lord? Why don't we do something about that? Come on. Have you ever wondered why Jesus is still waiting to come back? It's almost like, come on, Lord. Man, our, our, our nation's in a mess. We have, we've got real problems. Come on, you ever think that way? Sure, I do too. I think it's been the way they've thought all the way since Habakkuk. Are you listening to me? So we're talking 500 years before Christ was born. Now, look at Jeremiah. Look at, look at Jeremiah's sobs in chapter 6. Look in chapter 6. Let's look over there for a second. Jeremiah prophesied in Judah during the final stages of moral and political and religious collapse, and he witnesses some of the same immoralities that Habakkuk saw, but instead he screams through his tears. And notice his observations. He says in verse 10, he says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised. That's a pretty graphic way of saying it. They're, they've got something that's grown over their ears where they can't hear anything that I say. He goes on and he says, They cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. By the way, I promise you, this is a pretty easy place to talk about what I'm going to talk about tonight because I don't think anybody's going to take me and shoot me out in the parking lot. Do you? I think in this group right here, I can gripe and bellyache and say all I want about the way society is going and everybody's pretty much going to agree with it. Would you agree with that? Yes. But oh, Jeremiah says, man, I can't even say anything because when I do, the Bible says, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. Imagine if we had a bunch of Congress people and senators, state senators and, and state congressmen listening to what I was going to say right now. They'd laugh me under the table. I promise you they would. You, look at verse 13. It says, For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. That doesn't sound like America, does it? From the least to the greatest. You ever wonder how much keeping the government, how much pork was in keeping the government open? I guarantee every time they do that, they stick in billions and billions of dollars. They had so much pork in this last deal, they could have built a wall around Canada. Amen. I promise you. Amen. He said, from the least to the greatest, everyone's given to covetousness, and from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone deals falsely. Now, you would think that you might have some morality somewhere. At least the prophet would have some. Maybe the priest might. 
Look what he says about them in the next verse. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people, saying, peace, peace. It's okay. Don't sweat it. Don't get worked up about it. That's the people that should be telling you the truth. And he says, but there is no peace. Look at the next verse. Were they ashamed when they committed abominations? In the scriptures, there are 16 abominations. It goes all the way from homosexuality, and it keeps that list as long. And by the way, in the scriptures, abominations were capital offenses. They were, if you are guilty of an abomination, they put you to death in the Old Testament. It says, were they ashamed when they committed abominations? Nay. They were not at all ashamed. Look at this next, this is such a telling phrase. Neither could they blush. By the way, I think that describes a lot of Christians. Does it bother us? No, we don't even blush about it. That list of movies. Come on. It says, neither could they blush, therefore they that fall upon them, that fall at the time when I visit them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think there's been some problems that have gone on for a long time? <laughs> now, Paul's going to talk to the Thessalonians, okay? And I want you to turn back there because he's going to talk to this group of people. Now, you remember, let me remind you, that the Thessalonians had been saved for about three weeks, and in three weeks he got this church going, got it going well enough to take off, and he goes to the next spot, and he's kind of worried about what's going on, and he finally sends Titus to go check on him and all that. How many remember that? I hope you remember that. If you don't, it wasn't because they weren't taught that, because I was sitting there listening just like you were when Ryan said something about it last week. And he sends old Timothy, or excuse me, Titus and Timothy go down to check on them guys, and they, and they, and they do. Now, as you look at this passage, why would Paul be so worried about these folks at Thessalonica? Well, let me, let me help you. When, you. when you read, now stay with me just for a second. I've got to teach you some stuff, and maybe it'll make more sense. When you read the Bible, are, how many of you know that the Bible wasn't written in English? Just thought I'd let you know that. What you have is a translation, okay? The Bible was written in three languages. It was written in Greek and Hebrew, and very little of it was written in Aramaic, but there was portions in the, both the Old and the New Testament that are Aramaic, okay? All right. Um, when you read the Greek language, the Greek language is very <coughs> picturesque. Okay, let me give you a great illustration. When I was a kid growing up, some of you can remember this. I remember black and white television. So you've heard about it. You can Google it. You can put it on YouTube, bring it up and see what it looks like. But uh, black and white television, I, I can remember when I first started watching TV, it was about this big. In fact, I can remember they had like magnifying deals that you put in front of it to make it look bigger. Some of you, do you anybody else remember that? 
And then I remember, hey, I remember when somebody got a color TV. And man, they were the envy of the neighborhood. Normally them color TVs were them big console models. They take six grown men to carry them in the house. And man, you flip that thing and NBC, they'd have the peacock and the tail would go. Oh, it's great. Come on. Yes or no? All right. Well, uh, the difference between the English and the Greek, to be quite honest with you, would be like the difference between black and white and color. Our English, we would say, a person's immoral. Or we would maybe use words like, now either, and that person committed adultery, or that person was a fornicator. Now, I don't ever hear anybody talk like that. Would you agree? Are those rare words, yes or no? All right, now, in the Greek language, if you were going to take the Greek language, there would be many words. Now, sometimes the Greek language would have, for example, when you talk about sexual sins in the, in the Greek language, there's a big $64 word called pornea. And pornea, pornography. How many have ever heard of that? Okay. Pornea is a kind of a catch-all word, and you can use that in the Bible, and it's pretty much it covers the gamut. It can be talking about adultery or fornication or homosexuality, and it's just one word kind of covers everything. But as you go through the Greek and you begin to look at some of the different Greek words, you can go down through there, and there's a particular Greek word that sounds very similar. A couple of the letters are changed from pornea. Uh, this particular word is the idea of a concubine. In the day of the Bible, when they wrote the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking to people that would have understood that word because you would have a wife, by the way, a major wife. A major wife was somebody that bore your children, somebody that your children, and I'll just speak frankly, we're old enough to handle this, I hope, that your children wouldn't be bastards. And they would get your name, and they would be in line to get your finances when you die, okay? So they're not a bunch of illegitimate kids from different women that have no right to the family, so to speak. They were legitimate heirs in your family. They weren't bastards, okay? When you, when you study the Greek language, you'd have a language, a word that would, would, you could use that would strictly talk about concubines, Concubines were sexual playthings. Now, it was kind of an accepted thing in those days. And, 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 and if you go to the Orient, even today, if you have a very rich person, sometimes they'll have one major wife and they'll have minor wives. And it normally has something to do with your social status. If you have lots and lots of money, and it's a... It's a it's a matter of bragging rights in, in Asia. For example, if a man has a major wife, he might have three or four minor wives. And what that means is he puts them up, he pays their bills, he gives them a place to stay, they live there by themselves, and their job is to, whenever he's ready to come over, their job is to take care of his sexual appetites. And they're concubines. That would be the word that they would use. They're called minor wives. So you got one major wife and as many minor wives as your finances could, could bear, okay? And when he writes to these people at, 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 uh, 
at Thessalonica, these people are coming out of that kind of a society. He's talking to people that undoubtedly there was probably some of them that were saved. And once they got saved, they had a major wife and maybe they had some, some minor wives. Okay. And then there's another word that could be used and, and very similar to that word pornea. It looks almost the same. It's a couple letters are changed. But that would talk about uh, a prostitute. That was the word for a prostitute. And then there's another word that's real similar. They're all, pornea is the major word. And then there's little slight variations with the spelling. And this, this would talk about what Mr. Kraft found out, that there were pimps. And it was used for somebody that was pimping women. Okay? Now... It all kind of sounds like pornea, but just a little different pronunciation means completely different. And, and that's the, the kind of society that Paul's talking to of these Christians that were born again, but had come out of a background that was really cruddy, okay? And so Paul begins to write to these Christians, and Paul begins to talk to them about how they're going to walk in such a way as to please God. And obviously, if you got that kind of stuff going on, they need to hear about it. How many would agree with that? And so when Paul writes to him, he, he begins to write to him, and, he, and he's going to deal with, with the whole issue of sexual sin. Now, teenagers, I hope you're listening tonight, because I think that some of this would be really good, okay? So he's going to talk about truth, and he's going to give them some counsel. And his counsel for Christians, all right? He's, he says, you know, you got to be careful with sexual impurity because it will hurt your life. It will hurt your life. And, 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 and all of us face it. We face it in our day, yes or no? I don't think Mr. Kraft is a Christian. If he is, he's not a very good one. But you, even at 77, he was facing it, yes or no? And it's out there. And so Paul begins to write, and he, he's going to talk to him about holy living. And so he, he's, he says, I want you to recognize in your walk that you abound more and more. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. He says, I'm beseeching you. I'm down on one knee, and I'm begging you. And he said, I'm exhorting you by the Lord Jesus Christ how you've received of us, how you ought to walk as to please God, and that you excel, you abound more and more. And he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people that hopefully they were born again and they got some holy longings. That's a good way of explaining it. They have a desire that they should grow. They have a desire that their life should count. Their life should matter. That, that walking in this world, you'd want to walk in such a way as to please God with the way your lifestyle is. Come on, wouldn't you think a Christian would, would want that to be a part of their life? And Paul writes to him and he says, hey, it's important that you, uh, you excel in this area. This isn't an area you just kind of close your eyes to or, or an area that you don't think is important. He said, this is important. In fact, it's so important that it's the will of God. <coughs> Did you catch that? Now, we, we just so happened where we was at this morning... What's the will of God? 
Well, if I went back to Ephesians chapter 5, we looked at verse 18, 19. If I went up to about verse 17, he says, all right, let me tell you what the will of God is. Be not drunk with wine, but in comparison to that, he says, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, what's the will of God? I can tell you at least two things I know for a fact are the will of God for every Christian. Number one, you abstain from sexual immorality. Number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not the world's brightest person, but I can read. Come on, smile at me. The Bible flat says that. You don't have to be smart. All you got to do is read what it says. It says, this is the will of God. Now, there are four or five other spots in the New Testament that we could look at and we could spend some time looking at those things. I don't really think that's necessary tonight, but I'm here to really teach 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, so that's kind of what I'm zeroing in on, right? Okay, so he says in verse number 2, he's, he says in chapter 4, he says, for we know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. When we were there, I know what I preached on. Verse 3, this is the will of God. Even your sanctification. Now, let me help you with that. I'm not going to spend much time here. I've talked about it so many times before. Three parts of salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is the act whereby God declares a believing sinner righteous while yet in a sinning state. I'm declared righteous by God, even though I'm still a sinner. Sanctification is a process where the Holy Spirit begins to work on this justified sinner and says, hey, there's some areas in your life that just ain't quite up to snuff, and I want to help you in those areas. And in a process, he begins to subtract the things that aren't like Christ and begins to add in the things that are. And his goal is to work on me as Ryan said last week, uh, I'm confident that this very thing that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's job is to sanctify me and to make me conform to the image of his son. And he's not going to quit. You know, don't you wish you got to the spot where, you know, the Holy Spirit didn't kick your buns as often as what he does? He, he's never going to quit. Just thought I'd let you know. He's going to stay with it. He's persistent, and he's going to work on you, and he's not going to quit until the day that you get sanctified or Jesus Christ comes back and you get glorified. What's glorification? Glorification is the moment I've been sealed into the day of redemption. The day of redemption isn't talking about the fact that I'm going to be redeemed. I've already been redeemed. But what on me hasn't been redeemed? It's the flesh. All that that the Holy Spirit is trying to combat in my life someday will be gone and Jesus will come back and I'll be caught up and I'll be caught up in the very likeness of Christ. Amen. And I'll be as we sing in our hymn, saved to sin no more. Amen. Won't that be great? I'll be saved from the very presence of sin. So he says, hey, this is the will of God. The will of God. Look at verse number three. He says, the will of God even your sanctification that you should, notice this, abstain. Don't do it. Don't get involved with this. This is something you leave alone. This is something you don't mess with. You abstain from fornication. Now, fornication there, we could probably say it this way. He wants to 
have us abstain from sexual sins. That's what he's saying. I want you to abstain from sexual sins. Now, as you look at this passage and as we kind of make our way through here, you say, Pastor, what would that, uh, what would that sexual immorality or sexual sins, what would that be? Let me kind of give you a textbook definition, okay? It's any act that violates the principles of God's word. It's not done yet. Any thought that violates the principle of God's word leading to that act. Whatever relationship you have with someone in the opposite sex other than your spouse, it better not include any act or thought designed to culminate in sexual intercourse. It doesn't matter if you're engaged. It doesn't matter if you're committed. God says total abstinence, period. That's the standard. He says, don't do it. You say, wow, Pastor, that's pretty tough stuff. Well, let's read and see what he says. Abstain from fornication that every one of you should know, verse 4, how to possess his vessel. His vessel's your body. He says, as a Christian, it's important that you, you possess your vessel, notice, in sanctification and what? Honor. Now, when you start reading some of the scriptures in the Bible, the Bible says, for example, Hebrews 13, verse 4, the Bible says, marriage is honorable. And the bed, listen to this, is undefiled. Don't you be bringing somebody in that bed that's not your spouse. That's what he's saying. That sounds like abstinence, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Not between the spouses, but between spouses and anybody else. Listen to the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. It says, do not let immorality or any immaturity, even be impurity, be named among you as is proper among the saints. He basically says, you don't live your life in any way that would not be proper for saints sexually. You say, Pastor, how, how much does God go with that? I was talking to a young man this afternoon, and I used the verse of in Revelation 21. And I said, look at what the Bible says. It says, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable. Remember I talked to you about that tonight already? There's 16 abominable things in the Bible that God has capital punishment attached to. Unbelieving, abominable. And it goes down through here and it talks about all of these deals. And one of them is immorality. And what does God say is going to happen to those kind of people? And they shall have their part in a lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, did you know that those types of sins are the kind of sins that people get thrown into hell for? That's pretty tense. Yes or no? 
Yeah. Now, how many want to bet that God's serious? Sounds like it, don't it? Come on, you can say yes in church. You're, not, you're allowed to do that. I give you permission to say yes. You can say yes anytime. Total abstinence. We could go on and on and on. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, they won't enter into the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 5 says they don't enter into the kingdom. This isn't something that's just said once or twice in the Bible. This is said quite a bit. This isn't a one-time deal where the Bible just kind of throws it out there. No, it throws it out there again and again and again and again. God says, don't do that or I'll send you to hell. Now, I'd say God's about as serious about that as a heart attack. Come on. Yes or no? Do you think we believe that? I don't think the average person does. I really don't. Bible believes it. Now, how do we protect ourselves? Look at verse 4. Now, I want to show you what you do. You say, okay, man, the bar's set pretty high. What do I do now? <laughs> All right, let's look at verse 4. Let's see what he says. He says, every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. Now, notice, this is something that I do in my life. I learn how to possess my vessel. Now, can I give you a principle? He says, if you're going to live this way, he says, you're going to have to recognize that you have to control your body, not your body control you. I would say that the average person in Nashville, Tennessee, in the year 2009, their body pretty much controls them. I remember years and years and years ago, I had a, a lady in my church who I don't believe is saved. I really don't. I was preaching in California, and she came to me after church, and she was mad as a wet hen. And she said, well, pastor, if God didn't want me to act on the way I feel, why would God give me those feelings? And I smiled at her, and I said, are you sure God gave them to you? That's a pretty good question. I don't think just because we have feelings necessarily means God gave them to us. And basically what she was saying is, I'm going to kind of lact on my feelings, do whatever I want because that's the way I feel. And in reality, she was blaming God for the way she was living. <laughs> kind of unique, huh? First principle that he gives, he says, don't let your body... Call the shots. You need to know how to gain mastery over your body and make sure that that vessel that you live in, that utensil, that implement that you live in, you control what happens, not your body. Can I just be real honest with you? We have a, we have a philosophy in our world, if it feels good, do it. That's, that's really stupid philosophy. Because that'll get you in big trouble. Would you agree? Yeah. I, I give you another one. Second principle, verse five, he goes on. Now, first one is you control it, 
don't let it control you. Second principle is this. He says, not in the lust of concupiscence. Now, when's the last time you used that word? Have you ever used that word in a sentence? I haven't either. Hey, I think you have a lust of concupiscence in you. <laughs> they say, what? <laughs> well, let me give you the Phil Martin Amplified. Let me kind of help you with that word. Underline it in your Bible and put the word lust. Put the word passion. It's the idea of, of lustful passion, illegitimate passion. Now, I got my dear wife sitting back there, okay? There's a passion I can feel towards her that's totally legitimate. Amen. Hey, baby. <laughs> Let's take a walk on the wild side. <laughs> and that's legitimate. Totally legitimate. But it's illegitimate if I have that kind of passion, that lustful passion towards anybody else. You get what I'm saying? Scripture says don't be sucked up into that lust of concupiscence. Some of the only thing you can get out of my whole talk is, hey, baby. Second one that he's going to talk about. Look at, look at the next phrase. He says, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Here's the Phil Martin Amplified, his second principle. Don't act like a pagan. That's the way the pagans act. You're not a pagan. You're a Christian. He said, the way they act, they live by their passions, that lustful passion that they have, that illegitimate passion that they go by. That's the way they live. But that's not the way a Christian lives. Don't be a pagan. Come on, is that, is that too simple? Third principle is, look at the next verse. It says, that no man go beyond and defraud. Underline the word defraud in your Bible. I, I, I haven't talked, but I, I, I didn't use the word defraud one time in the last month. Just, to, <clears throat> hey, you defrauded me. That word defraud's an interesting word. It's the idea of to sin against, to take advantage of the idea. And the third principle it would be this. Don't take advantage of others. Let me, let me put your finger right here for a second. I want you to take your Bible and turn back to Matthew, if you would. Look at chapter 18, Matthew 18, just for a second. Jesus kind of talks in the same vein. Let me show you what this is talking about. Matthew chapter 18. And I want to look at a couple of verses here. Look at verse number six. Let me show it to you real quick. All right, you got it? Now, one of the things I brought up when I was starting is that the Catholic Church lost 190 files of abused children by, by their bishops. That's called a cover-up. 
Yes or no? Look at this verse. Jesus, Jesus brings this verse out. We're in chapter 18. Look down, if you would, at verse number 6. Chapter 8 and verse number 6. It says, but whosoever shall offend one of these little ones. Let's talk about children. He says, which believe in me, it's better that a millstone was hung around his neck that he should be drowned in the depths of the sea. Millstones, what they used to crush the stone and make meal, or a big stone that they made meal. They put the grain in there and crush it and make meal. That was a millstone. He said it'd be better for them to have a millstone around the neck dropped off in the deepest part of the ocean than to offend, to abuse one of those little ones. Let's read the next verse. He goes on. He says, Woe to the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. Hey, I think that passage makes it pretty clear. Those priests, they're not sinning with immunity. I don't care if they lose every file they've ever had. They're not sinning with immunity. They're going to be found out. There's a God in heaven that keeps track of that kind of stuff. And he says, woe unto you if you do that. So this passage, when we look at this passage, he says, you need to be controlling your body. You need to be recognizing that you don't take advantage of others. You know, there's an interesting passage in uh, 1 John, and I'm not going to take time to turn that, but just let me talk for a few moments. The Bible talks about, it talks about older men, younger men. It talks about uh, older women, younger women. And then he makes this analogy. He says, Whenever you're in the family of God, you, you got to treat older men with respect. You got to show uh, deference to younger men and, and, and older women and younger women. And basically, he says, you treat the men like they're your brothers and you treat the women like they're your sisters. And by the way, we wouldn't have exposés on the Chronicle, the Houston Chronicle. We wouldn't have it at the Fort Worth Telegram if Christians actually treated people in the body of Christ like brothers and sisters. Because you don't treat your sister that way. And you don't treat your brother that way. How many understand what I'm trying to teach right now? Because he says, bottom line is, this is the way you're supposed to act. This is the way the family of God works. You don't take advantage. You don't defraud another Christian. Now, I didn't make any of this up, but these are three principles. He said, you got to control your body. Your body shouldn't control you. If you look at the passage again, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians, he says, you don't live like a pagan whose, whose whole driving force is their passions. He says in verse number six, he says, you don't ever defraud your brother in any matter because why? Listen to what the Bible says. He gives a couple of reasons. He says, number one, he says, the Lord is the avenger of all such. You are saying to God, come kick my buns. I don't know how to say it any nicer than that. And he's the avenger of that stuff. Hey, bottom line is God takes care of that. You know, there's a lot of people I've ticked off, and I hate to be, you know, this is your life, but I've been a pastor a long time, and sometimes pastors have bad days. You do. 
Some of you look at me like, well, I've been around some of them. <laughs> and every once in a while, you'll say something and, or you'll do something, and you think, God have mercy, am I going to pay for that? That was stupid. <laughs> I just really, <laughs> I was going to say rip my shorts, but that's an, <laughs> another colloquialism. I don't say. Man, if I ever messed up big time, I'm going to really have to pay for that. Let me tell you something worse than having to pay for it. It's when God says, yeah, you are. Because, you know, God wants to get you. He can really do it. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Boy, I'd hate God being getting after me. Come on, that's a pretty good reason, would you agree? I remember an old businessman, a good friend of mine, his name was Vernon Cooley. He's been in, the hev in heaven for a while. I miss him. We used to talk every week. I love old brother Vernon. And I remember he came from a lifestyle where he was just a wild man of Barneo. I mean, before he got saved, he was a rounder. You know what I mean when I say that? Okay, it's an old term, but he was a rounder. And, I, and, and, and God so transformed, I sat down with him one time, and I asked him, I said, Vernon, what do, you, what do you do to explain the change that God's brought in your life? He got big tears in his eyes, and he said, well, obviously, he said, I'm a new creation in Christ, but he said, you know what? He said, I'll be honest with you, Brother Phil. He said, I don't want God to get after me. Great answer. I don't want God to get after me. And God can. Let's read on. Let's see what else he says. He says, the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have also forewarned you and testified. Now, verse, the next verse says, for God's not called you unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. <clears throat> the second reason he says, number one, God can avenge that. Number two is, God's job in your life and what God really wants to have in your life is holiness. That's what he's, that's what he's called you to. That's his purpose. He didn't save you so you can go out and live like the wild man of Borneo. He said what he's called you to is holiness. Then look at the third reason he gives. He therefore that despises, despises not man, but God. Who hath given to us, what? The Holy Spirit. If you're saved, here's the third reason. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And by the way, I talked about just a touch this morning. The Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's a person with feelings. He lives within you. You don't want to live your life in such a way that the Holy Spirit is grieved by what you do. You say, Pastor, why should we abstain from fornication? Why should we not live our life that way? If you do, God will get you. Teenagers, are you listening to me? Some of you are playing around back there and not paying attention, but I promise you this. Someday when God gets you, don't say it didn't happen to you because I'm telling you right now it will. Bible says it will. I didn't write it. I'm just saying it's what it says. Amen. Number two, God's purpose for you isn't to live like a pagan. God's purpose for you is that you'd be holy. Third reason is 
God's got a Holy Spirit that lives within you, and he's trying to do something in your life. Why not listen to him? Come on, you with me tonight? You listening to me? I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I want you to think I am. But we've had a little bit of problems in our church in the last couple of years. And this, these verses haven't been obeyed, have they? And I don't think they're thinking about what the consequences of that are. By the way, there are consequences. You listening to me? And I'm not rejoicing in the consequences, but I promise you this. You can't do certain things without God putting on his war pants. And God says, hey, we're not going to stand for that. Come on, you listening to me? This is a big deal. You say, Pastor, how do I live a life that pleases God? Certain things you abstain from. Because if you don't, you've opened up a door to Pandora's box. You listening? Okay, I got to quit. Got to quit. I get so wrapped up in my preaching, I don't ever look at my clock. And then when I do, I go, holy moly. Some of you go, I was looking at my clock, and I was saying, holy moly, toe. <laughs> in fact, I've been saying, whoa, whoa. <laughs> All right. Our issues are in the back, I hope. If they're not, they're fixing to be. We're going to have the offering. Let's have a word of prayer. Well, they get the, I'll get the plates and come on down where the price is right, okay? Lord, bless us now as we take up the offering. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Help us to recognize that what your word says is a big deal. Lord, I pray for these teenagers in the back. Some of them didn't hardly listen at all tonight. And I'm kind of disappointed they didn't because one of these days they wish they would have. And Lord, for those that may be listening to the sound of my voice tonight, that they're doing stuff in secret that they shouldn't be doing, God, help them to recognize there are no secrets with you. In Jesus' name, amen.